Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, a podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel bad about. I'm your host, the bodyguard who was on duty when President Reagan got shot, Caroline O'Donoghue. Joining me is author and queen of the night, Irena Sinakoji. Hi. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy you brought the bodyguard into my life. Of course. Like, why wouldn't you want the bodyguard in your life? It's such a good film. So, yeah. It's like such it. a good film. It really is. <laughs> So, or like for most of the episodes this season, I've asked people and they've brought stuff that I already loved, already knew backwards, and it's been really easy. It's yeah. been a lazy job as a podcaster. And so when you came with The Bodyguard, and like I was born in 1990, this came in 92, yeah. I was slightly too young to have seen it, but just old enough to, for the culture, t- to meme it a lot. Like I remember being referenced on everything, was referenced on The Simpsons a lot. Yeah. So I was, I got the secondhand knowledge of the bodyguard where I felt like I knew everything that you needed to know about it. But then watching it, I was like, this is so much of a better film than anyone ever gave a credit for. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, I mean, it gets trashed <laughs> online, yeah. but it's a really good film. And I came to it with a real passion for Whitney Houston. Mm. You know, I was such a massive Whitney fan. I remember listening to her album in boarding school and just, I was like, I loved her so much. Uh, and obviously the fact that she was going to be in this film, I remember it being advertised everywhere. So I had to see this film and I was, I think at school at the time. Um, and it was just everywhere. Everybody was talking about it. She was the the height of her powers as a star at the time. Kevin Costner was a big name. Um, so, you know, the film, it was like a no-brainer for me uh, to to want to see it. And I, I loved it. Apparently, it's her first movie role as well. But, right? Yeah. So I was like, she did really well for a first-time performance, um, you know. Um, but Kevin always had her in mind for the role. Yeah. Which, you know, I just love that he specifically asked for her. Uh, the film was originally supposed to have been made in the 70s with Diana Ross and Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. uh, but the studios felt like it was too much of a risk. Um, so then it got postponed. And then in the late 90s, it was supposed to be um, Diana Ross um, and Ryan O'Neill, who were actually having a hot romance at the time, but they fell out. <laughs> so then the film again <laughs> was put on the back burner. And then I think somehow Kevin had heard about this through the grapevine, loved the premise and the idea of it and, you know, immediately felt like Whitney would be perfect for it. So, I mean, there's so much like (laughs) trivia around the film as well. Oh, it's it's such a rich feast. If you want, like you can go for hours just finding like (laughs) Kevin Costner in an interview saying some random story about it. I'm like, yeah, hook it into my veins. But I want to go back to to, to boarding school or anything and like, 
what what was that like? So, would you see it in the cinema? Like, what do you rem- do you remember these like moments really hitting you in the chest, or did the love of it grow over the years? Well, I so my love for Whitney developed there, and I saw it, you know, um, when we were staying in London. Um, but I had been loving her album. I'd been listening to her a lot. I loved her voice. It was so soulful and powerful. And then when the film came out, I was just. She looked stunning in it as well. Um, I really liked the idea of it, you know, this bodyguard protecting this uh, mercurial pop star, um, but also the fact that she was fully human in the film. You know, yes, she was tempestuous. Yes, she was troublesome, but she was also vulnerable as well. And she was also a mother, you know, and I love that we got to see that side I think that's important that, you know, you have a woman who's living her dream, um, but not at the cost of anything, you know, so she gets to be a mother, but she also gets to be super successful. And actually, if you look at the power dynamic, it's skewed in her favour. She's the she's the rich boss woman. She's paying him, you know, so uh, for his services to protect her. Um, so, you know, there's so much there that's interesting that that kind of stood out to me, um, you know, as a as a young girl, I was like, yeah, this is really cool. <laughs> It's oh, it's so cool and like oh, what you said as well about when, when you said Diana Ross there. There's something that Diana Ross and Whitney share, which is a vulnerability. Mm. Like you can see why Ms. Ross was like, yeah, was on the on the list for that because there's something about their eyes and there's something about them that makes you want to protect them in this way while simultaneously being these huge voices these great singers these huge performers you still would like give your life so they feel no pain yeah you believe it right you, you believe, believe that they they need protecting and yeah. I think you know you, you hit the nail on the head Diana has a sweetness about her you yeah. know that voice it's so singular Diana's voice actually it's not unlike, it's unlike anyone else's tone um, so I can see why she would have been um, picked for it as well and of course Whitney is the complete opposite in terms of style style you know powerhouse of a singer but also i think has a vulnerability there as well you know also has a kind of innocence um i, I remember watching an interview with kevin where he said that you know she she always felt like even though she was this big star she never really you know she always had a vulnerability she thought will people like me you know am i good enough and that just made me love her more because you know that shows that you know no matter how successful she got she always wanted to be appreciated she never took any of that for granted you know she always felt like this still the girl like from you know the 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 sort of working class background yeah. who grew up in the church you know, and um, you just wanted to do well and make people happy, really. So it would have been interesting to see what the movie would have been like with McQueen and Ross, like yeah. in my in my movie fantasy land. <laughs> like still, <laughs> still good, I think. I, like. think. I think it would still have been really, really good. You know, you've got McQueen who's cool as hell and, you know, Diana, again, this wonderful star and star. I mean, it would have been lovely, I think, but. Yeah, we've there, got a great version. There's this thing that Costner says about, and I think it might be in a, in a really gorgeous eulogy he does. Oh, it's beautiful. Really beautiful. Yeah. Really respectful and really funny. It's very sweet. He seems like a very sweet man. He seems like a really nice, considerate man, doesn't yeah. he? <laughs> yeah, like he, he does talk about himself a lot in the eulogy. <laughs> Like he tells these random stories. He's like, me and Whitney both grew up in the church. Yeah. Here are some some stories from my childhood in the church. And you're like, I think you've misunderstood the brief. But uh, but like you know, he's been famous a long time. He's allowed to be self involved. Yeah. But there's something he says, and it really it, it really broke my heart because of course this movie is um, much more bittersweet now because you know 
because Whitney, no one could protect her in yeah. the end. And, and you can't, that sort of throbs through the movie now, that knowledge that she was this person who, who couldn't be protected ultimately. And he says something is like, the... He said the thing that that drove her greatness, which was, "Will I ever be good enough? And will they like me?" Yeah, was also the architect of her downfall. Yeah, and I that really struck yeah. me as well when I watched the speech, and I thought, "God, that's such a spot on way of summing it up." Because yeah. that you know her strength was also her Achilles heel. You know, is that is that desire to yeah. be to be liked in a way to feel good enough, even even though you're hugely successful, you still don't feel like you're good enough. And and there's something about you know the people who were around her that perhaps you know she was let down somewhat I feel yeah. in terms of being protected she was extremely generous as a person um, employed a lot of family members they were a lot of them were on the payroll which is always <laughs> when you read that in a star's biography you're like oh no yeah, exactly. <laughs> the call will come from inside the house exactly don't do it get <laughs> professional people around you yeah. because you know there will be that distance but I think that you know when you're when you're surrounded by family in that sense and it's work related um, people don't necessarily have the onus to to put you first because they're earning money off it you know so it's just it was just unfortunate for her that she must have felt so alone um, you know um, during those terrible last days um, that you know unfortunately people she wasn't protected and it it makes it like you said all the more bittersweet um, looking back at the film actually yeah we'll get to it but I'm just gonna uh, do the plot summary first Frank Farmer is an ex-Secret Service agent who is currently between jobs when he's asked to bodyguard the R&B singer Rachel Marin, who is receiving threatening letters from a stalker. Rachel doesn't believe that she needs extra security and at first refuses to change her lifestyle to Frank's specifications. However, as the threats on her life increase, Rachel and Frank are forced together as she comes to rely on his protection. And the thing about this movie, it's kind of the perfect date movie. Back when that still existed as a concept. <laughs> Back when people like, went to the cinema every Friday night yeah. with, their, with their lover. Because it's got all this like really tantalising, thrilling action and this gorgeous central romance mm. that's not even hooked on a particular chemistry as much as it's based on proximity and need. You know, it's not yeah. like they have loads in common. They just have like a physical attraction. Well, they're very different, aren't they? Yeah. But like you said, there is this chemistry um, that you you feel between them and this kind of push and pull. You know, she knows that she needs she needs his services, but at the same time, she's not making it very easy for him. Yeah. Uh, and she's being quite resistant, um, whereas he's somebody that likes to work with people who understand their situation and, you know, make it slightly easier for him to do what he needs to do. But he doesn't get that with her. He's quite introverted, you know, yeah. clearly intelligent, um, clearly very disciplined, you know. Uh, which and that's so hot. It's which is very sexy. Um, <laughs> and that makes sense for a bodyguard um to be that way. Whereas she is the opposite, you know. Um, she's extravagant, she's demanding, um, you know, she demands to be centered all the time. And you can see that that annoys him. But but there's also an attraction there. You see that sort of um beguining romance development developing and it's yeah it's really lovely to watch you know but but like you said that there's a there's a thriller element as well with with the threats on her life and there are two kind of different um storylines in that sense that you know that converge later on in the film but I think in terms of having a good date movie you have all those different aspects so it's not just a romance you know and it's not just an action film and it's not just a thriller you get a whole mix of of that and that's what makes it really interesting and it also it's just 
And I think modern films about fame, and I think there are a lot, and there are a lot of TV shows at the I, I was kind of ill recently and I ended up watching a lot of TV and a lot of it happened to be about like, oh, this person who escaped into a famous person's world. And I think the mistake that those shows often make is they make it a little bit too glamorous and too shiny and too clean. Mm. What I really liked about this, because the movie really starts when he drives up to... When he accepts the job, he drives up to Rachel Marin's house. Also, when I was talking about this to my boyfriend, he said, Rachel Marin, that sounds like a daytime news presenter, <laughs> not a pop star. Rachel Marin, the most famous pop star in the world. It's an, it's an unfortunate surname, I think. Just like, try harder. Yeah, no, absolutely. But no, when he drives up, that I found that quite amusing. And he's and he's saying all these things, you know, giving Henry Ford's name to <laughs> Yes. You know, to, to show how easy it is to kind of get, yes. to have proximity to her and have access. And there's this, this weather-beaten um, intercom where the yeah. um, it doesn't work properly. It's like crackling and he's like, it's Thomas Edison. And he's just like saying <laughs> bullshit into the thing. Absolutely. And they just let and him they in. And they let him in. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, no, in real life, would they do that? But here's the thing. <laughs> that was I the only think... thing. That was, the, that was like the one red flag for me. It was like that moment I was like, Surely. <laughs> I think it does represent a different era of stardom where yeah. the information wasn't publicly available. Possibly, so so yeah. people thought, well, if you have the dress and if you sound business-like, then probably you have business. Here. Right, right. Buzz. <laughs> then we'll let you in. <laughs> like, but this thing of like, and I think this is actually an accurate representation of how a lot of people like that live, mm. where it's like, um, because they have, that it's often people like this they get famous very very quickly they employ people who are close to them who aren't professionals mm. and who and like they they buy these enormous properties that need a lot of maintenance but to you need to have so much infrastructure to help maintain that yeah. kind of thing and i think movies about celebrity often get that wrong there often is this kind of like fine very tantalising line between kind of griminess and glamour mm, mm. and it's from the immediate he goes up to the house and like he she's rehearsing her next music video in some wing of the house yeah. and there's like dust motes in the air right right it doesn't feel clean but it does feel glamorous yeah yeah and I guess in a way like you're saying it, it perhaps feels authentic yeah it you does know, because yeah I mean she doesn't have the right sort of security the right sort of security structure yeah uh, even staff wise I think she has one guy who's like this yeah. huge bear of a man um, very, quite dodgy as a, no. as a I love guy. that guy yeah he was, was lovely yeah, he was lovely he, he has a real arc within the film he does, <laughs> he, does. he goes on a journey he goes on a, <laughs> he does he does every here's the thing every single character in the bodyguard is is really there for a reason there are yeah. no extraneous characters very true. very true so we have obviously we have our lead two Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston I'm probably going to refer to them as Kevin and Whitney yeah, I'm probably totally not going to say Rachel Marin again very much <laughs> I, I think that's fine. I think it's fine. <laughs> um, we have her sister Nikki. Yeah, her her jealous sister Nikki, yeah. who was who was the singer first. I liked family. Nikki. I you know, Nikki. I really liked Nikki. Yeah. yeah. We have the um the sort of music manager from the label with the tiny blonde ponytail. <laughs> 
we have her um, head of security who's yeah. like this sort of big Italian guy who I, again goes on a journey and I completely believe him from the instant because he absolutely he, he just says you know Rachel likes the way I do things yeah absolutely and you can see you can see that being the reality like who is this new guy yeah. like coming onto my territory and trying to tell me how to run things I've been here you don't know what you're talking about I know the score so you that resistance is immediately believable you know that hostility that he has so yeah no he's he's so it's like he wasn't acting for me I felt yeah yeah I don't believe he, he was, was born ve- doing that. Very natural, I thought, um, that performance. Um, yeah, he really he really captured that role really well. And for a movie that like has been campified and referenced and all, I find the performance is very natural. Yeah. Yeah. And like definitely. what's so great with kind of the, the, the sort of he's sort of looking around and we it, the movie's really good at showing Rachel's world through mm. his eyes. And it's like he's just clocking he's not clocking the success or he's looking the fame, at the, the, the vulnerabilities and the vulnerabilities from the offset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's just like that anybody can get in here. There are so many people in this room. I don't know what any of their roles are. Yeah. Does even does she know? Like <laughs> And um, and then it just like he just follows her 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 and he only sees the back of her for the first couple of yeah frames. that's true and and oh, then when you just she turns around and you get that face that moment and that face yeah and you just want the camera well the camera does linger a bit it does. and it's it's lovely and then you get that look you know yeah. between them that exchange and it's I don't know that first moment it feels really potent to me yeah. watching it um and you just you're just intrigued you know, um, to kind of follow these two characters and what what happens. But also his sense of, I don't know, vulnerability in that space as well, because he's used to um, bodyguarding politicians, maybe not necessarily somebody like Whitney (laughs) or or if somebody like that, somebody like we said earlier, who understands (laughs) what needs to be done. But somebody like this character who's... um, feisty and um you know sort of difficult to manage is going to be a problem for him (laughs) you can can see that you know and uh like she's she's talking to everybody except him really after that first introduction i mean what a way to dismiss somebody they've specifically come to meet you you know they've come to meet you there's the introductions made and then you just go back as if nothing's happened you know so you know like from that from that moment it's going to be fascinating to watch their relationship and how it develops I imagine in 1922 there were so many people who showed up to the cinema being like well can Whitney Houston act and like I don't I watched it and I I don't even know if she can act but I do know (laughs) I do know she has this like indefinable something on screen she's very watchable you know so natural she has a star quality that you know some people have it or they don't and obviously she went on to do more film roles after the bodyguard and she she was she was good in the in those roles you know waiting to excel particularly was great for her and angela bassett and all the other women and that was brilliant um you know but but with this film as her first role you can imagine you know the studio are taking a big risk (laughs) putting her putting her as the lead with no acting experience but I think it's that quality you know that she had and and Kevin talks about it in his speech at her funeral like having this really special quality that it's like old Hollywood yeah sparkle that that, Marilyn Monroe moment exactly that it's just like 
wow, whatever it is you're doing, I, I cannot take my eyes off you yeah. on and, the screen. And for some reason, I, I kept thinking of like those 1950s starlets and like Monroe in particular when I was looking at her perform because it is yeah. this thing of like the stunning face, but also this kind of like childlike. Yeah, yeah. That, no, that again definitely. makes you want to protect them. Yeah. And oh it's... my God, Monroe was so incredible. Uh, you know, so incredible as an actress as well, I think. just yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and a brilliant um, woman, you know, really, really intelligent very well read Joyce you know, everyone's in the picture very, of her reading yeah, Joyce yeah very well read and you know really masterminded her career as well from the offset I think a lot of people don't give her credit for that people talk a lot about her looks and she was absolutely drop dead gorgeous but also very very shrewd clearly again very vulnerable this is something that we see with you know with starlets and um, famous yeah. women in the limelight um, which is why their um, their images endure because mm. our, our, they might fade or die but our urge to protect them never does this is so true this is yeah. so true <laughs> yeah and you felt the same way about Whitney as well like you know um, as a fan like watching her um, you, I always was like, God, I hope she'll be, be okay because we all knew the the personal demons. You know, we all knew about them, and you just you just hope that you wouldn't hear, you know, that it would be tragedy <laughs> one day. You know, and we we all wanted her to be looked after, but you don't have any control over that. It you know when you're when you're that famous and that su- successful. You know, it just goes to show that how do you define happiness? How do you, you know, how do you define success when you've achieved it and you've achieved it at that level? Like where else is there for you to go in a way that makes you feel challenged, fulfilled and just happy, yeah. you know, and who's around you um, that that makes you feel you know, supported? If you have a partner, for example, that's absolutely oh, batshit. Oh, Barbie, Barbie, um, <laughs> you know, who's batshit, um, also talented, but I think was also very jealous of Whitney as well. You know, if I, if I can say that, watching the documentary about her life and their time together, you know, he wasn't good for her. Unfortunately, I love how like we're still saying that. Like twenty yeah. years later, we're still like he was not good he for her. Not. Although to be fair to him, it was her choice. She wanted, she wanted to be in that relationship. You know, she she wanted she wanted to be with him very badly yeah um but there's this thing that becomes very evident in the movie when we talk about protecting which is what this movie is about it's this thing of like immediate question that the film throws up which is who is he protecting her from mm. is he protecting her from these very disturbing stalker things and these bomb threats she's getting or is she protecting her from these leeches within her own home who are it's really interesting. I think this movie has so much to say about fame mm. because when we're around famous people, um, and I've I've seen this happen where it's like everyone is very invested in the famous person's short term happiness, right? Because it means their short term gain, yeah, and they don't know when they're going to get cut off the feeding tube, right? And so, so when it comes to like getting the person what they want immediately or getting rid of something they don't like immediately, that's very easy, and people do it very quickly. But when it comes to the long term gain, which is pushing back on someone, letting them know there's limitations, mm. letting them know they can't, they aren't center of the world, you know, deprive them of drugs or booze or food or whatever you know because they they need someone pushing back that is the, the those are the first people that leave a famous person's life yeah yeah definitely they get yeah. rid of them get, yeah, <laughs> yeah they get rid of them you're not a yes person exactly because there, yeah. there will always be an outnumbered yes person this is it ratio that could that can slowly vote out the a- absolutely the pushback, right and i guess it depends on you know your position 
within that chain as well like how powerful are you within that you know if you're if you're somebody like like a frank then um you know you have some authority in a way i think to kind of hold fast in that role because you've been brought in specifically to protect her so he's not only protecting her from those threats but also herself like yeah. you said it's it's the self destruction uh, that can that can happen with these people where it's about actually you need boundaries yeah. <laughs> you need to have boundaries and if you won't if you won't have them for yourself i'm going to have to help you enforce them you yeah. know um so um, so we see that in in the film where he's like no actually uh, you need to let me know what your plans are so that we can prepare yeah. for it you know we need cameras we on need this. cameras yeah. exactly so there are things there are structures that he starts to have in place to help protect her from these kind of self-destructive tendencies where she's like well I can just go out as I please and do but yeah. you can't not when we're getting these threats and of course there is the sort of internal threat as well that yeah. we see you know um develop and the kind of the sibling rivalry um between between the sisters uh, we have to talk about Nikki because she's such a good character she's such a good character she's such a good character and she's the opposite you know, to yeah. Rachel, um, in, in that she's quiet and um, she's humble, you know, also clearly a bright woman. Yeah. You know, clearly intelligent, clearly has desires. Um, also, you know, wanted, had aspirations to be a singer, actually started the whole thing in the family. That I love that scene when yeah. he's in her, in her room with her or something and she's sort of showing her, like, yeah. oh, I play guitar. And Absolutely. Then, and then there's like, uh, you know, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, but there's that scene where they're in the kind of winter paradise segment of the film the, win- oh, the winter wonderland i like the winter wonderland scene. i love I the love winter it. wonderland Wasn't it great i was like oh i could just stay in this <gasps> part of the movie for like 40 minutes <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And I loved his dad as well. I was like, oh my oh, God. That is so wonderful. <laughs> okay, I, th- I think actually we're getting too far ahead. I think we need to work back and we're, 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 we need to work we're getting Hannah. excited. We're getting too excited. <laughs> it's too exciting. Yeah. Let's work through chronologically because an important element of this movie is that, um, and it's it, it, back to what we were saying about like the sort of uh, cloud of, um, you know, delusion that fa- mm. people who are around famous people allow them to create mm. which is um Rachel doesn't know the severity of the of the threat level yeah and nobody will tell her because nobody wants her to see her upset you know no one wants to freak her out and because if if Rachel were to be freaked out it means maybe she wouldn't go on stage and then nobody gets paid exactly right? <laughs> not really about her person no it's about comfort. them <laughs> yeah and, really. and the the level of the threat becomes clear then at the fucking one of the best scenes in cinema 
when she goes to like a small club. Yeah, it's a really cool scene. To promote Queen of the Night, her yeah. new single. Love that song. <laughs> I got the stuff that you <laughs> want. that you need. <laughs> so good. Yeah, really, really good scene. And also like, can we just talk about her outfit? There's something <gasps> very sort of sci-fi-ish, yeah. Afrofuturist happening there where it's like, it's slightly otherworldly. It's <laughs> So cool. It's really cool. So she goes on stage wearing a hood. Yeah. Which again, sci-fi. And then she takes, she she whips it off. And it's like, what I wrote down was like a cyborg Josephine Baker. This is it. Absolutely spot on. Like she looks part machine, part cyborg, part human and very gorgeous. I'm like, oh. And there's like this video in the background that's doing this kind of chop and change of yeah. all these images. And some of them are like old school images and, and some of them are just like eyeballs and yeah. stuff. And it like, it's It's all quite weird and frenetic. There's that going on. Yeah, it's very Blade Runner or something. It's very, it feels like the club houses the undead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love this. I love that club scene. I thought it was so, so good. And it's, and it's so good because it's the first time that we have these two characters where, um, and I think this is kind of the most interesting thing about the movie is that they have these two um, sort of MOs that are deliberate, they're very conflicting because we have the star who has built her career and this happens with all stars um on a sort of a sense of not just their voice and their music but their relatability how their audience feels about them how th- for you know if they go to, if if i go to a Rachel Marin concert <laughs> i i can and we all do this at some level when we go to see somebody perform in concert we want to feel close to them yeah ultimately we could listen to spotify at home <laughs> but we want that essence we yeah. want we want something from them to be delivered to us we want to know them more and, right and that's what that's how we do it that's what sells tickets right and so rachel needs to keep towing this line where she's giving her fans just enough but then farmer is just like you need to be safe yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um, and there's this great thing where she's on stage and she's dancing and this guy tries to get up and dance with her and she dances with him and costner is like storming on and she puts her hand she keeps putting her hand yeah, on yeah, stop to, sign. Stop, to stop him from from coming on yeah because she wants like you said she wants to be able to give her fans that access and yeah. she enjoys that i think she's she's a, she's a celebrity who doesn't want to be remote from her fans like she wants her audience yeah. to know her and she's um you know she seems very unpretentious i think as a as a celebrity she doesn't wear any She's very confident, but she doesn't have airs and graces. Mm. You know, she likes to feel relatable. You know, we see her in the movie signing stuff, I think, for kids who approach her. So she wants that. That's an important part of the Rachel Marin image, you know, hence hence doing this small secret like yeah. club as well, like rather than, you know, I, I guess doing it something in a much bigger space. Again, like that's all part of it. Like that cool, accessible yes. edge. Yes, you know. after a certain point. And there's a reason that famous people despite the fact that they are treated like companies can't mm. be companies because with a company you're you're expecting an exponential growth mm. year on year but when when the focus of that entire operation is a single person who has to remain relatable but global yeah and like artistic but listenable you yeah know? And like, yeah how do you tow that line you it's impossible it's which really, is why really these hard. people go crazy yeah. and die no wonder they go nuts yeah because it's, it's that that's it that's the essence it's it's trying to appeal to all of that you know to to achieve all of that and it's so hard it's so difficult without 
compromise, losing your soul, yeah. <laughs> losing your sense of self, going nuts behind the scenes, all of that, you know. And we see her explode several yeah. times, don't we? We see her kind of just combust because it's just all too much, you know, in those moments where reality hits. Because I think that her team, like you said, are very good at keeping at keeping that distance in terms of the, the threat that's coming, yeah. not fully letting her know how bad it actually is. Yeah. And then when we have those moments where it's revealed, like she can't handle it and she lashes out, of course, at Frank. Yeah, because, because again, he's the only person who's there for like the yeah. long term safety of the person involved. Right, right, right? exactly. Than the short term. He doesn't payday. have an agenda beyond doing his job and and making sure that she is you know she's as safe as possible um so it's yeah it's really really fascinating um like I said I love I love the contrast between the sisters yeah because it just adds again another dimension um both both to Rachel's um, character and and her sister Nikki who we see has like wants and desires as well and you know she's withering away in this space she's She's withering withering. (laughs) honestly in in her sister's world where she also works for her you know you can see that her needs aren't being met you know now Renaton I believe you live with your sister (laughs) was she an acclaimed short story writer (laughs) I made sure that didn't happen no No, I absolutely adore my sister. She's a- <laughs> the, the day you got your MBE, your sister's like getting stoned and going to a random bar. No, she was so thrilled for me because she's such a like wonderful human being and just, yeah, really lovely. I mean, we're super close. Um, she's also creative, actually. Um, but, you know, she no, she's always been supportive and, and I'm supportive of her as well. You know, I think that that helps a lot, even if you, even if you have similar interests, you know. And my mother did this thing when we were girls of dressing us exactly the oh, same. Really? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> that happened oh. a lot when we were kids. It was like we're in the same <laughs> dress again for photos. Oh <laughs> What's the age difference between you two? Um so three years difference. Oh, right. Yeah. So, so um my sister who gets mentioned on the podcast quite a lot, there's ten years between us. Oh. But she trained to be a journalist first. Oh wow. So she's kind of my Nikki. Oh I see. <laughs> you got the idea from her. Mm. Well kind of I think is I do think the sister thing is really important because like, you know, when I if I think of like all the like what I'm doing right now on this mm. podcast, the sort of like pop cultural dissection. She taught me that because she learned a lot at university. That's amazing. She taught me that like ordinary people like us could be, you know, journalists or in the media or whatever. And even though she didn't ultimately pursue those things herself, like she like blazed this machete through the long grass for me to follow. You That's know? amazing. That's amazing. And I yeah. love that. I love that she did that and that she's probably so proud of you. She you really know. is. Oh, she's great. I love her. Oh, Hi, Jill. That's wonderful. <laughs> this is, just makes me feel so good. And I think it's... It's, it's it just gives you that confidence as well you know when you have that support and yeah. you know you're also like really straight like upfront about things that piss you off about each yeah. other as well you know so well, but you you know you see i don't know in the film um i think it's interesting that rachel is so expressive you know yeah. um but nikki isn't yeah, she's very muted. She's very muted and she internalises everything, yeah. you know, and you see that that starts to take its toll a bit on her um, later on in the film. Isn't it funny how, like, there are so many um, artistic women who also have, like, cysts, like, the, like, the Brontes. Like, yeah. Three geniuses. It's incredible. Three, three <laughs> geniuses who would have redefined, like, English literature regardless yeah. 
of where they came from and they also happen to be sisters. It's amazing. Like I think I think sisterly rivalries are like the most po- potent and powerful. Yeah, thing. there's something about that space that makes you want to be your best. Like yeah. absolutely. Like in the Williams sisters. Yeah, you know? same thing, you know, watching them as well. I mean, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Nikki just needed to step up and be I, yeah, Serena. Yeah, I just yeah, I kind of that is one of the things looking at the film I just I wish that Things hadn't, you know, um, for her, things had, you know, been better in yeah. a way and that she had been able to tap into, you know, her her spirit. Because there was something there, I feel. Yeah. Uh, but but for whatever reason, that, that got lost, you know. Let's go, let's move through chronologically to the scene where Whitney asks him out. Oh. In her jogging I know. You know, she's kind of badass. Just sort of just like, I know what I want. (laughs) And right now, you've been annoying me, but actually you're quite attractive. And actually, I think I might want to go on a date with you. (laughs) But there's a way she... And and she becomes very flirty (laughs) in that moment. And a little bit shy and a little bit awkward. And I think... So cute. It's really cute. And I think she endears herself to him um, somewhat in that moment, you know, um, because he's kind of shy as well, you know, even though he's very professional. Yeah. He's shy romantically, isn't he? He doesn't seem yeah. like he's comfortable. No, he and there's this thing where like their only real flirty scene before she asks him out in her jogging gear is um, <laughs> is when he goes shopping with her and she's like, oh, can, oh, yeah. you, can you get me this and, he's and a like, six? No. And he's like, I'm here to protect you and I help you shop. And it's like the thing of like, she's getting changed. Yeah. <laughs> over the door it's all very it's very snappy yeah yeah it is it is I like it because he is like he's not particularly a talkative character but he they do give him good lines he has good lines but also there's so much left unsaid with him yeah and I think Kevin Costner pulls that off really really well you know there's a lot going on under the surface like you can see him sort of ruminating on this dynamic between them. You know, there's a scene also where he's like watching a music video of her. I think this is before she asked him out and he is almost just like completely absorbed watching it and she can see from her balcony because she can hear yes, her singing. I, she's watching she's him watching, watching him her. Watch her. And I was like, that's, that's sexy. hot. It's I was so like, hot. This is really hot. <laughs> that was, Why that is, was, I think was hot. something about like the, the sex sort of, I think most women have a sort of a sexually voyeuristic mm. vibe to them because I think we, we so grow up looking at women that men find desirable, yeah. right? So we're, we're almost channeling our sexual desire through male eyes all the time. The male gaze, I believe they call it. And, um, and so like when you're watching a man watch a version of you that's yeah. been made for his gaze, but yeah. you, he doesn't know you're there. There's something really erotic about that. And powerful. Yeah. And powerful because now she has this knowledge. Yeah. And I think that gives her the confidence. The power, that, yeah. And the power to say, I want him. I want him. Yeah. And I'm going to voice that. I'm pretty that. sure he and wants I, and, me. And I, I think he wants <laughs> me. God damn it. <laughs> you know? And the way she says it to him, she's like... um. So if I were to go on a date, you'd be, there, you'd be there and that would be awkward. So I might as well date you, you dig? And she's like, okay. I love that she did that. It's very funny. Very good. <laughs> very good. It's like, yeah, you know, it's going to be awkward. So let's just get around that. By, Cut out the middle, man. Are you dating me? How do you feel about that? Oh. How do you feel about their days? 
Oh, okay. So I like their dates. I like their um, dates. I really very like, sweet. It's very sweet. I love that they went to see Seven Samurai, which is a cult film. Um, and uh, again, that draws parallels between what he does mm. um, and that world, which I thought was really clever and interesting. Um, but I love the scene um, when she's back at his place and the, the samurai sword is almost a tool of seduction, you know, and it's kind of like you're seeing the brutality of it, but also... It's tender in that scene. It's sort of sensual, you know, where he, he removes her scarf and then he throws it onto the sword and she's got the sword pointed at his chest. And it, I mean, there's all sorts of metaphors going on there. And then, <laughs> and then the scarf splits on the sword and it's just like, I don't know, there's a lovely tension there. Um, oh my it's really God. nice to watch. When the scarf <laughs> splits on the sword, it's so erotic. It's very sexy. I don't understand. <laughs> I had that reaction too. <laughs> I was like, why am I so turned on? <laughs> Two inanimate like, objects. I know, I was like, what's going on here? Like, this is really sensual. No, I thought that was yeah. really, really lovely. And also like her teasing information out of him, you know, throughout the date, she's yeah. steering it once again. Yeah. Her power <laughs> in her that power. comes through. You know, she knows what she wants. She wants to get to know him. She wants him to open up more. Yeah, And she does that, you know, and you can see he's, I don't know if flourishing is the word I would use, but you can see him starting to open up yeah. a bit more. That bit where, where he's like, yeah, I, I fall, I've liked a girl before. <laughs> she's like, oh, what? Did she die? Yeah. So something I would do. It's so funny as well. I was like, oh, what she did? Did she die? And he's like, yeah, she died. And she's like, no. And he was like, no, she didn't die. She just didn't like me back. It was so good. Yeah, it was really good. And then she was like, I can't imagine that. Or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you're good. So good. <laughs> really well, good. I just wish they showed more of the sex. Yeah, that's this is I what's so rarely want more sex in a film. I generally prefer it being a suggestion and me using my imagination. But in this case, I wanted to see some torso and tit. Yeah, no, I felt the same, actually. Yeah, I think maybe we got, what, maybe three? We got more of the scar. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't really get enough, I think, sex scene-wise. Yeah. But um, yeah, it left you wanting more. And they had such good chemistry that, uh, like, I don't think that would have been an issue, but I don't know. What and the- then, this pissed me off. Then she wakes up in the morning and he's, she's like, hey, big guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're ready to rock and roll. You're ready to rock and roll. <laughs> And he's like, oh, there's such a good line where he's, um, he's like, you know, no, I, you know, I, I let my guard down. I, I can't protect you if I'm dating you. This yeah. is, and would you understand or whatever? And she's incensed. She's furious. Yeah. And, and he's just like, well, look, you can live with it or you can fire me. And then she goes, but I can't fuck you. Yeah, that's a great line. <laughs> and it's so good. I love the way that this is a woman who is like a mother, like a, a good mother yeah, on screen. Clearly, yeah. And and they let the film allows her to be difficult and horny mm. in a way that's actually very rare and also to express desire yeah in a way that you know like you understand you know she's a she's a woman attracted to this man and they have this connection and she wants to develop it more you know it's a bit like oh yeah we we've had this intimacy and now <clears throat> You know, I can't pursue it because I can't protect you. I mean, you can understand it. Like you said, um, you can understand it. But I I just, a part of me felt like, come on, man, just... (laughs) 
come on. Just roll with it for a bit. The thing is, you want to say, lighten up. But also, come on, buddy. immediately things get more dangerous. And you're like, okay, maybe don't lighten up. No, you, it may, from his perspective, I, it, obviously it makes sense yeah. that, you know, he feels like he can't be operating at optimum level if he has this, you know, sexual relationship with yeah, her. And it course. means that, you know, his head's going to be all over the place. Uh, but from her perspective, she's like, no, I want you and I want us to continue doing what we're doing. Why, yeah. Why are you saying no to why me? Why are you being, yeah. <laughs> why are you being a loser? <laughs> Basically is what she says to him. Yeah. Why are you being a loser? There's something that I'm quite fascinated with the sort of like background context of this movie, which is that assassinations were very in the public consciousness, mm. right? During this time. So cause, so this thing that comes back to a lot was that he was in Secret Service and he protected Carter and Reagan. And then the thing that keeps coming up is, well, he Reagan got there. shot. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, not when I was <laughs> Yeah, I love that line. Not it's when so, I was there. Yeah, not when I was there. Yeah, it's so funny because he was burying his mom. <laughs> and um, this thing, so I thought about it and I was like, okay, so like the, the original script of this was written in the 70s, mm. right? And, you know, there's there's Reagan, there's, um I'm not sure exactly when that happened, but like, you know, Martin Luther King and yeah. like all these American civil JFK, rights activists. JFK, obviously. JFK. Yeah. Um, and then like a bit later in the 80s, um, John Lennon mm. and Andy Warhol. Yeah. Like people were getting assassinated. Assassination was at the front of the culture's <laughs> mind. Yeah, definitely. Like, what? <laughs> But I think this might be not a question for you or for me, but I'm just going to put it out there. How come we never hear about assassinations anymore? It's all mass shootings now. It's well, all just blanket shootings, well, not I, in, assassinations. In, in the way that things shift in the culture, I think it's just changed. You know, like you said, now we have like these just these like terrible shootings and, and mass shootings that happen. But assassinations at those times, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, they had an almost mythic quality yes. to them. And I think that's. You know, that's what the film was capturing as well, in a sense, that kind of that he was in that world. You know, he was a part of that sort of, um, you know, orbit where these kind of terrible assassinations yeah. happened. And they they not only affected the people, but, you know, around, but also the culture. Like everybody was talking about JFK for yeah. years and decades and also that we still have a fascination with these assassinations, you know, yeah. post, post the time periods. Uh, there's something about it, I think, that really leaves an imprint on the culture. And there's something really in, in, intriguing um, as well, especially if, it, if it's unsolved. You know, if we, if we yeah. don't know, I mean, the JFK, I mean, there have been so many angles um, about his assassination and what happened, yeah. you know, and and it's so, it's all really Oh, it's never going away. It's never yeah, going to go. It's my dad's happy place thinking <laughs> about that this assassination. Is, this is what I'm saying. It's like, it never goes away, you know, all the conspiracy yeah. theories, all, there's, there's so much there. So I think that that's, there's something really still at the time when the film came out. Yeah. In that, yes, we had moved on somewhat, but we was there's something still potent about that. You know what is that aspect? Well. So, so, so physical assassinations—they're not really in the cultural conversation right now. Mm. But you know what is character assassinations. So true. People are obsessed with the idea of someone's character being derided publicly in a really like um, directed way. Yeah, absolutely. do you know what I mean? This idea of like, oh, someone. You know, someone said or did something bad and then mm. something old that they did was dug up by a mercenary. Right, And right. then it was plugged into the Daily Mail or whatever and now it's over for them. And it's like their That's, career is done. Yeah, That is scarier to us now than being shot. 
so true because there's so much power yeah. as well. To it. <laughs> I just, I just, I just read today that they're remaking the bodyguard. Ah, oh, I saw, saw that. that. Yeah, I told you, you, last you mentioned night. that to me. Yeah. Okay, so 2022's <laughs> the bodyguard is somebody going up to Zendaya and saying, Zendaya, they found an old tweet. <laughs> Yes. You used a series of slurs to describe an American Idol what finale. What you thinking? <laughs> that is absolutely hilarious. And then, like, it wouldn't be her bodyguard; it'd be like her social media manager. She falls in love with yeah. Zendaya. I'm doing this to protect you. I can tweet how I want. You're not allowed to tweet for this amount of time. I'm protecting you. If I should stay. Oh my god, that's absolutely so good. So good. So so good. But I don't know, how do you feel about a remake? I mean, I'm not I'm not sure. It could be it could be good. It could be yeah. if they do something different with it, I think. I was thinking about this exactly, about like what if it was a gender flipped one? Interesting. Right? And it's like someone protecting like a Justin Bieber type. And the protector, the bodyguard, is wait the, for it, is, is Missy Elliott. <laughs> no way! Oh my God! Because like Missy Elliott would fucking wow. fuck you up. She would mess you up. And she'd pull some amazing moves as well while at <laughs> Missy Elliott protecting Justin Bieber and, 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 and they fall in love. And make some amazing music behind the scenes. <laughs> it would be so good! I would pay to watch that. <laughs> I would absolutely watch that. <laughs> I love how your brain works, honestly. Just Missy Elliott driving Ooh, up Justin Bieber's house. Can somebody write this movie now? Me. You should it write should it. Be me. You should totally write it. <laughs> oh my god. Just like Oh goodness me. Missy Elliott being like, it's Thomas Edison. <laughs> Static. Yeah. So good Mo- oh, movie roles God. for Missy is what we need. Oh we that needs to happen. She's incredible. So that, yeah, she she definitely has the star quality. I don't even oh, need to see a screen test. Yeah, for yeah. sure. No, um, yeah, honestly, innovative as well. I think. Yeah. In terms of like what she was doing back in the day, but yeah, that's a whole nother yeah. conversation. I would do a sentimental garbage in Missy Elliott, but there's no garbage there. There's no no one's ever come for Missy Elliott. There's Everyone's only just, good stuff. There's only good stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's no like fight to fight. <laughs> There's nothing to argue. Um, yeah. So okay. So then we get, we get to this period of the movie where um, uh, they they're not speaking to each other and they're having a shit time. And Rachel's going to some event. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. but this is, it goes to this whole thing where they're in like a, a rented suite in a hotel yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And we're not sure where it is. Yeah. For me. This storyline mm. is a little weak. Mm. Mm. So there's this thing of like this guy, Secret Service, former Secret Service guy that Frank used to work with who's got a, a, the face of a villain. Yeah, he definitely has a face for radio. Just like, <laughs> just like with scars and, and weird eyes. Yeah, and all weird this. expressions. <laughs> Everything about him is like wrong and wrong and it's so telling. You would be alarmed if he, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, mm, I don't trust that guy. <laughs> You would not, yeah, no. And then um, she sort of uh, takes him into her bedroom to sort of get back at Frank, yeah. being like, well, I'm going to basically fuck your peer to mm. get back at you, which is a fucking cold thing to do. Very cold. Very cold. Yeah. Um, And then it, it, it turns very dark. He tries to rape her. 
and then he is seen out of the building and then that is supposed to be sort of the stimulus for him being the murderer there's Uh. this whole thing we might as well get into these stories spoilers because I've only seen this film once and you've seen it several times and I don't understand this so this whole thing is that the stalker is a um, person who's been paid by Nikki because Nikki wants to get Rachel killed because she has wilted into this uh, horrid creature of resentment that I understand Mm. but then Shortly thereafter, as we're about to discuss, Nikki becomes murdered. Nikki becomes murdered. She gets murdered. She gets murdered. It's sad. Very sad. Uh, um, And then, uh, shortly after confessing all of this, but then it's like, oh, it was never Nikki's thing. It's this other guy. Mm. And there's... Can you explain it to me? As I understood it, she went into a bar in LA to... um, hire a killer yeah <laughs> uh, and it was done through um this guy who never told her who who the killer who'd hired hand would be yeah and the hired hand ends up being frank's peer yes so so that's how i understood that storyline yes um in terms of yeah uh, that and then i guess the stalker is a separate that's a separate it's the separate that's a, that's a separate weird guy. weird guy who's just obsessed with her and okay. you know in that confession scene where she's talking to Frank and admitting everything, she, he asked her about that, and she says, "I don't know about him. He's reading my mind. You know, maybe he's reading yeah. my mind." And uh, that was really powerful to me. The fact yeah. that this stalker is saying these terrible, horrible things about Rachel yeah. and Nikki felt like, in some way, some sort of affinity with him because she is having such a horrible time. It feels oddly gothic, doesn't it? Yeah, they're, they're, absolutely. It's very a story you would write. <laughs> It's very well, thank you. Yeah. But no, this thing of like because the the, the stalker who's a separate thing to the hitman, yes. which is what's confusing. Yeah. Um, I can see why that's confusing because yeah. I was a bit confused at first and then I was like, "Oh, okay, this is what's happening." Yeah. yeah. They they could have worked They could have done that better. Yeah. Yeah. Um he's sending these letters that are the classic cut out from magazines, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they all say like, because um, her song is I Have Nothing. It's like, you have everything. I have nothing. Yeah. It ends for you now, bitch, or something. And and that's the thing that Nikki's responding to. She's mm. like, that's because that's exactly how she feels. Yeah. And why she got the hitman. Exactly. And then these letters appear and she's like, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. What's going on? Yeah. But also he's capturing, <laughs> he's capturing how I'm feeling. Yeah. So, you know, that that really powerful scene where she's confessing everything, in a way it kind of... It, it makes you have such empathy for her that even though she's done this terrible thing where she's absolutely betrayed her sister yeah. and hired, you feel sorry for her. You, you know, do. you do. And I think the, the movie does a really good job of foreshadowing that because we get all these little moments where we see her, you know, she even makes a move on Frank. Yeah. You know, because she actually also finds Frank attractive from the offset so both of them yeah. both sisters were attracted to him it's just that he went for Rachel oh, you know and it's, yeah, it's the story of her life and it's like god damn it it's happened again <laughs> this is it done <laughs> this is it you know even in this instance yeah. she wins you know but there's this great scene just before that because now we're firmly in Winter Wonderland oh I love Winter Wonderland it's the best <laughs> it's, part of the movie it's brilliant Oh, I love it. I love it. And I love his dad it's as well. It's so Instagram porn, isn't yeah. it? Like, it's beautiful. Oh my God, there's dad's interior choices. Oh, it's gorgeous. Incredible. Gorgeous. So they go to, they go to his like dad's winter lodge and um, to protect Rachel and they all frolic in the snow. Mm. And there's this great scene where like 
Nikki is on the porch and she's like singing some oh, gospel yeah. hymn. Yeah. And it's really beautiful and it's really sweet. Yeah. And then Rachel comes out and like puts her arms around her and she just wants to sing with her sister. Yeah. But her voice is so much better. Uh, her voice is so amazing. And yeah. you, you like watching it, <clears throat> you're so happy for Nikki that she gets this moment and then a part of you dies. For, you can feel you her die. soul dying because, yeah. because once again, Rachel comes and steals the moment. Even though, like it's you said, it's a personal moment. It's a personal moment you know you, you see that intimacy she puts oh. her arms around her she loves her sister you know Rachel doesn't think there's any problem here that's what's interesting about all this so we have all of this happening on several different levels like yeah. this massive resentment that she can't feel or sense you know um, she just thinks that they're close and that everything's fine but again it's another moment where she steals the show yeah. and it just you know that it, it, it hits home like you feel you really feel Nikki's loneliness. And, and the thing is, like, the actress who plays Nikki, she doesn't register a great facial change. Mm. It's like her eyes just go kind of slightly blank. Yeah. You know, it's like she's yeah, not yeah, like, yeah. fuck this bitch. No. Ruining my snowy <laughs> Go morning. away! <laughs> yeah, it's like really subtle. Very subtle. Very For a subtle. movie that had to communicate a lot to a lot of people, it's yeah. a very subtle performance. It gets instantly unsubtle when he's interrogating her. Yeah. And he's like, why did you, why are you doing this? And she just goes, I was very stoned! <laughs> that line killed me. <laughs> I was very stoned! I was very stoned! I don't know! <laughs> yeah, like she had to kind of be on the edge to go yeah. th- to go through with it, you know. Yeah. But I I feel like Nikki would have done it regardless of whether she was stoned or not. Yeah. I just I just you know I feel like she was getting to that point where it was just kind of too absorbing the feeling of resentment and anger, like that quiet rage yeah. that spills over in that in that scene where she confesses. Um, for you to for you to cross that line and go and hire somebody something's gone very very wrong it's so soapy isn't it yeah it's, it's soapy so, yeah. very soapy you know it's like and uh, but again it's soapy's like, choice she, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but just that that Rachel's clueless about all of yeah. this i mean i i feel like i don't know if it speaks to Rachel being really super self absorbed possibly because <laughs> as, as successful famous people are want to be yeah. um but i feel like if my sister was resentful towards me i would be able to pick that up oh yeah you know because especially when you're close i'm sure it's the same thing like you know it comes out one way or another certainly with me and my sister when we've had it is very hard to hide your you emotions can't hide from it. family members yeah, yeah you know so it's just it's interesting to me that Rachel never picks up on that, you know, that, that she there's never any sort of, I don't know, like, attention from her perspective towards her sister in that way. You know, you yeah. don't see it. It's all focused around her. Yeah. It's always all about her her needs. And, you know, we know that she she loves her sister. We see that. But it's just, it's interesting that they, that wasn't part of the film. Yeah, because then we go... It, it, Nikki's murdered mm. right after that mm. and the film spends very little time mourning her the, the film does not care about Nikki <laughs> I care about Nikki but we care you care I, about Nikki I care about Nikki like I I like this character yeah. I, I warmed to her and I felt sorry for her you know and 
I mean, obviously we get the very sad stoic funeral scene afterwards, you know. Yeah. Um, but again, like not much lingered. <laughs> even then there's a kind of, um, there's a voiceover from a news broadcaster. Mm. It's like, uh, Nikki Marin, sister to Rachel. You know, yeah, it's like... It's impersonal, it's, yeah. But it's that immediate thing of that even in death, she's always going to be Rachel Marin's sister. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Marin says this will not prevent her appearance at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, great. <laughs> Yeah, it's like even in death, Nikki is not a person in her oh own life. God. Even in this film, where she is one of five characters, yeah, she's not she's important. <laughs> we feel bad for Nikki. Rough. And then there's this whole thing at the Oscars, which is very exciting and also a blur to me. Mm. But it feels it feels very realistic, this whole backstage Oscarsiness. Mm. And the whole operation behind it and like yeah. you know, the sort of pressure and anxiety um to make everything look picture perfect and yes. there's all this chaos going on behind the scenes um and i and I f- that actually felt like you got a glimpse into, <laughs> into that world it felt real to me real to me actually yeah because obviously we only see like the glamour yeah. we don't get to see the behind the scenes the, the stress the, of it the work inner workings of it but it's like all these people seem really bloody stressed out they don't seem like they're having a good it does time not seem like a happy yeah night. and this thing it's really good um where it's she has to announce a category and then she has to go off screen and then go back to her seat and then win or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, she when she's announcing the category, she uh, starts freaking out because like Frank Farmer mm-hmm. has made her so freaked out and she she opens the envelope and all she can see is the uh, the threatening notes that she got and she thinks everyone in the audience is about to assassinate her and she's mm-hmm pegs it off yeah (laughs) she legs it off (laughs) I just kept thinking like imagine if it happened at the real Oscars and like an actress just pegged it off screen oh my goodness you would be the memes would be what is going on you know like I feel like yeah now in like a matter of hours, there'd be an explanation, obviously, for, for yeah, what was going on. Yeah, but the gifts would go on forever. Oh my and God, it endless, would be photoshopped onto endless, everything. Yeah, it'd be a running yeah. joke. And yeah. It'd be like, oh, me when the Zoom call ends. <laughs> yeah, this is it. It would be memed to perfection. I'm sad it's not real. <laughs> oh my God, that's so true. But yeah, also, I guess, captures her sense of terror. You know, that like yeah. that threat actually has finally come to roost in a way that like the most important night of her career for her, she dreamed about being at the Oscars. She talks um, in the film uh, with Frank Farmer. There's a really tender scene at night where she talks about betting her, her friends as kids that one day she's going to be at the at the Oscars. And, oh, yeah. you know, how important it is for her to be there on the night and not be run out of it. And, you know, obviously he agrees <laughs> that. Yeah, we, you're gonna go, and I'm gonna I'm gonna protect you. But then for that to just really badly start to go wrong, um, and, and again she kind of unleashes at Frank <laughs> because yeah. she's so scared and and paranoid uh, that and and hates him for making her paranoid as well. Yeah, he's really yeah. yeah as you say, he really has taken roost in her brain. Absolutely, even though he's doing his job, you know that yeah. he's supposed to make her aware that you know they can't mess about with this threat it could happen at any time yeah you know but she is still very very resentful of the fact that she has to live this way you know and that it all kind of comes to fruition in that in that scene where she sort of just can't take it and rushes off stage just like pegs it and then just pegs it i love that phrase (laughs) 
really, really gives me joy. Um, and then obviously all the chaos happens at the yeah. Oscars. The guy with the horrible face has a fucking gun in his camera. In the camera, and it's like, th- yeah, that was really, <laughs> that, that was really mad. that was really mad and ominous. <laughs> like just like you him holding it, yeah. that. Oh my god, <laughs> it's so cartoonish. <laughs> I thought he was going to start grinning gleefully. Yeah. He's not a subtle villain. (laughs) And I feel like it's very exciting, but it's also kind of a blur and is dispensed with quite quickly. Yeah. yeah. Sort of. And here's the thing we don't have much time left in the studio. I just, I need to have a good five minutes on this. I don't like the ending. The final ending, ending, or kind of the way it's all wrapped up. I felt yeah. very cheated. I felt like the film was setting me up mm. with all this talk of samurais and sacrifice and giving your life for another life. Yeah, one of them should die. Yeah, like <laughs> narratively, one of them should die. Well, we almost had it with Kevin. I know, didn't we? And uh, yeah, that would have been uh, yeah quite an amazing, powerful ending if if he yeah. if, if I feel or like if she dies saving him yeah. would have been a great flip. Absolutely. But for him to like get a bit injured and then him to just sort of like resign from service. And then somebody else replaces him, this like older guy who's... <laughs> yeah, and then we have this big Casablanca scene with yeah. her in the scarf at the airport and he says goodbye. And, and she like, runs okay, off, she gets off the plane. And I will always up. love you all this. Yeah. And then she runs off the plane, she kisses him and you're like, oh, so they're together. Yeah, and then, and then they're then not. It, and then they're not. <laughs> yeah, we are cheated. I think we are cheated. Um, We're cheated out of a good death and a good reunion. A, a, good, a good reunion and a good death, yeah. It's I, a nothing ending. I, I feel like... They chickened out, possibly, for whatever reason. Like, they could have been braver with that ending. But for whatever reason, decided that they wanted a safer ending. And it is, it's a bit like, meh, when you see that final shot of him. I think he's protecting, like, a priest or something. At a rotary club. Yeah, and it's just like, please, please, this is what who you're protecting at the moment. You know, it's a bit, it's a bit disappointing. As a novelist, I wanted to throw my glass at the screen. I was like, no, you've looted the audience. You've cheated us. Yeah. You've cheated us. You have to give us something that's been worthy of the narrative you've been building. Absolutely. Absolutely. Either they, you know, car in the sky, they're in love. <laughs> Or and that would have worked. Dead. That would have that would have worked, you know, because yeah. it set us up so nicely for that. Yeah, if so. she if she ran off the plane if and she was like, "I want to be with you. I don't care what it takes. Yeah, to work let's be well. together. Let's be together. Great. Yeah. If she dies, great. If he dies, either great. way, either one of those would have been really satisfying. Yeah. But yeah, we were definitely cheated. I think the end is is definitely a, yeah. a letdown for you know a good film. Because I actually always thought because you know the famous. Um, poster of him carrying her yeah i always thought that she does die did I you always from the what, from the poster yes. oh okay. and, and, and that it was a tragic film right so i was getting my tragedy sort of gears all oiled up and then yeah. i was like what <laughs> she doesn't die because <laughs> that's, that's and it's, it's so leading towards that yeah it's, like, it's a she, very loaded poster she actually. keeps saying to him what you would give your life I don't think I could do that I'm like she's going to sacrifice himself for her that's so true she says that several times yeah. in the film yeah 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 it's yeah. almost like they were leading to that and then switched it like uh, it's like test screenings and then they and then they change their mind I feel like something like that must have happened because like you said it's foreshadowed within the film it's said yeah. several times in the film and you know we are preparing either for some great romance or for some like tragic loss and then that doesn't happen and they kind of have this really like safe mare ending no film that has a shootout at the Oscars can end with a scene at a rotary club <laughs> that the maths doesn't work 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's crazy that they went in that direction. But I mean, obviously the film still did brilliantly. I mean um, iconic. Yeah, yeah, iconic. iconic and an iconic um album sales as well. Yeah. Like breaking all soundtrack yeah. records. I think it was it nearly nine million or something for I Will Always Love You, that single alone. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy numbers, you know. That's incredible. Which was originally actually a country song recorded by Dolly, Dolly Parton. The great and awesome Dolly Parton, um, who's also wonderful. Uh, so yeah, it's just interesting to hear like the original and hear Whitney's version because they're very, yeah. very different. Um, and apparently it wasn't actually supposed to be in the um, film. They had a different song choice originally, but that had been used for a, another yes. film. It used to be What Becomes the Broken Heart. Yes, version. that's yeah. it. That's the song that was supposed to be in the movie. But interesting, you know, they but, went that way. And here's the other thing. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I've been loving on this film consistently, so I think yeah. it's okay to hit it now. I love. I think Whitney's version is beautiful. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm so familiar with that radio version where it's like, it's so... Um, she's unaccompanied and it's like just her voice and it's so beautiful it's so haunting and this music softly comes in and it's amazing but like she never sings it in the film this is so true like, <laughs> you don't get that payoff you have that moment where they're dancing and they're listening to the country version of yeah. it and they're like this song's nice and then you should have that moment where she's singing it to him or something well I wonder if they felt like it would be too much or that it would have more of an impact sales wise if if they saved it just for like the the soundtrack. Yeah, I suppose if you're still sitting in your seat and yeah. the credits are rolling and all you can hear is that like descending over you. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. feel like it was clearly a business <laughs> cynical decision. Sa- sales of uh sales of the bodyguard soundtrack went through the roof. Also <laughs> memberships to rotary clubs went through well, the roof. <laughs> but it was yeah. a great year for the rotary. <laughs> Visibility. <laughs> Great visibility. We exist. Um, all right, Resin, we should probably um, uh, wrap up, but uh, tell me all about your everything. You are one of the most awarded short story novelists I've ever had, <laughs> short story writers I've ever met. What's that like? Oh, I don't have any awards. Well, that's very, well, you will do, just a matter of time. That's very generous of you to say. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of that, really. I guess it's encouraging for me because I was always like, I don't know who's going to read these weird experimental short stories uh, in my head. And, um, I've just been lucky to have good champions behind me and that's helped a lot. You know, people who believe in your voice, you know, people like... It's it's so deserved, man. You're so good. That's so so nice. I first met you at like a literary showcase that I was hosting. You were such a fantastic host. Yeah, you were absolutely brilliant. So funny and natural. just announced that I had my picture on stage. (laughs) You were brilliant. I loved it. It was, yeah. um, Well, thank you very much. That was very kind. But I just, just, um, you were one of the standouts of that night because you were reading from Nudie Branch, which is your short story collection. And you had this story called I think it was called The Taylor oh I know the story you're talking about yeah 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 what's it's, it called it's, again it's, 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 now this title's gone out of my head because my own, my own it's story. called The Taylor <laughs> it's called the, it's a story about a tailor who makes these um, amazing dresses for yeah. women in the town but they don't know that they can only wear them three or four times before strange things start to happen it's so and it's the kind of it's that sort of like ghosty spooky yeah Gothic-ish. Gothic-y stuff <laughs> that it just really, really excites me. And I remember just being so excited by you on the night and I continue oh, to be so nice. excited. That's so nice. What a compliment. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. It's a huge compliment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I thought every everyone was so good, you know, on the night. It was, so, it was such an enjoyable evening yeah. to be 
like a part, a part of um, like to hear other voices. And I think it was one of the last evenings before. Yeah, before, before the end. Before the end. <laughs> before life changed, yeah, as, as we know it. You know. But what about you doing exciting <laughs> things? Your your polymath writer, <laughs> journalist, podcaster. Oh, you know, keeping busy, <laughs> doing it all. No, I won't brag about myself on this podcast. I do that too much. Um, Renison, thank you so much for coming in. This has been a joy. Thank you. It's absolutely amazing. I've loved it. I hope I get asked back again. You definitely, you've got so much Just stuff. putting it out there. Your other suggestion, which was so good. Yeah, we got to do that. Okay. Yeah. I won't spoil it. Yes. That's good. Absolutely. And if anyone wants us to write the Missy Elliott Justin Bieber vehicle, we are here. Yes, let's do it. This has been Sentimental Garbage and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E or email me about the podcast at sentimentalpod at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thank you to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the artwork and Hannah Varrow for the mixing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.